So one of the best ways we can love our God is to listen to him. So listen to the word of God from Joel 1. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders, give ear all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it and let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. Awake, you drunkards, and weep and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land, powerful and beyond number. Its teeth are lion's teeth, and it has the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste, laid waste my vine and splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it down. Their branches are made white. Lament like a virgin wearing sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn and the ministers of the Lord the fields are destroyed, the ground mourns because the grain is destroyed, the wine dries up, the oil languishes. Be ashamed, O tillers of the soil. Wail, O vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley because of the harvest of the field has perished. The vine dries up, the fig tree languishes, pomegranate, palm, and apple. All the fields, trees of the field are dried up, and gladness dries up from the children of man. Put on sackcloth and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Go in, pass the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God, because grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. Is not the food cut off before our eyes, joy and gladness from the house of our God? The seed shrivels under the clods, the storehouses are desolate, the granaries are torn down because the grain has dried up. How the beasts groan, the herds of cattle are perplexed because there's no pasture for them, even the flocks of sheep suffer. To you, O Lord, I call, for fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and flame has burned all the trees of the field. Even the beasts of the field pant for you because the water brooks are dried up, and fire, fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Isn't it amazing to see right here at the beginning, this is a children's story, and I don't know if you were listening, it's like, man, this is dark. <laughs> this is really hard. It's like, oh my gosh, we got wailing, lamenting, we've got all kinds of sad news, dark news, hard news, uh, things being announced here. But it's a children's story, so I want you to just track with me, follow, listen. This is a story, if you're a parent, you're to tell your children. If you're a grandparent, you're to tell your grandchildren. 
so that our children will tell their children who will tell their children. And now we are people who are now receiving this message through Joel and it's passed on. So there is a storyline here that God wants to write into our storyline as we learn more how to let God's word interpret our stories. That the narrative of scripture is to interpret us to ourselves, but to God, to each other, to our communities and to our world. So I want you to think with me this morning how the Lord calls us, how the Lord calls us out, and then what the Lord calls us to. So that we're gonna progress through the passage by thinking about that. But I couldn't help but think as I was reading it this morning, this story or illustration came to me of a father and a son uh, at church and uh, the little boy is very nervous and excited, but he can't sit still. I know none of the children here struggle with sitting still and paying attention, but this little boy would just get up and run off and father come back and bring him back put him back in the pew. And uh, after doing that for a few times, he just said to him, Johnny, you need to sit in this pew and stay in this pew. And as the father went to go sit down, the little boy said, well, daddy, um, I'm sitting down on the outside, but on the inside, I'm standing up. <laughs> so, and what that kind of points to though, is for us as the people of God, uh, many times we have a form of godliness. We are uh, sitting down, but on, on the outside, but on the inside, we're standing up. One of the things about the prophets is that it goes right after this heart issue that everybody here, and I'll be the chief, the lead uh, person here, our hearts are by nature rebellious. We rebel against anybody or anyone trying to tell us what to do. Now, Jimmy Buffett is not a son of a prophet or a prophet, but many of you know his music. Um, he's got a great song that you can listen to that your pastor, Rick Downs, introduced me to called Fruitcakes. Now, because Jimmy Buffett's made a lot of money, <laughs> he, can write, he can do whatever he wants to do. So he has this seven-minute song. You can go listen to it on your iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Prime. Just listen to the song, it's hysterically funny because he talks about how the cosmic baker took us out of the oven too soon, okay? So we're all a bunch of fruitcakes, okay? But basically you hear it in Buffett's music a lot. He doesn't want anybody telling him what to do. So here's how you know you've got some rubble in you, is when somebody tries to tell you what to do or explain to you what you need to do, appeal, there's just a part of me saying, no, nah, I don't think so. I'm not gonna do that. It's just, it's instinctual in us because of the fall. We're rebellious by nature. So in this song, he, he sings about a lot of things. And Buffett very rarely refers to God, Jesus. Every once in a while he will. But he says now, he says when he's talking about the world ruled by fruitcakes, he talks about education, politics. And he goes, now here's the church, where's the steeple? The church they're in is, is in the hands of some crazy blank people, okay? And the first time I heard that, I started laughing. I went, wait a minute, I'm one of those crazy blind people <laughs> that the church is in the hands of. But as we come into the text this morning, I want you to hear God calling to the rebelliousness that's in your heart. I want you to listen for Jesus, the good shepherd, saying, we need to talk. Because there's something going on inside of you that's keeping you from all that I have made available for you to know and experience 
And that's what's happening to the people of God here. God's going to call out the elders. He's going to call out the drunkards. He's going to call out uh, people here uh, who are the priests. And uh, we, need to, we need to listen out. Um, part of rebelliousness can look like busyness, uh, letting your life be ruled uh, rather than resting. Um, this call to rest in God, Jesus says, come and I'll give you rest. And we're too busy to rest. We're too busy to slow down. We're too busy to, um, to really listen to God. And part of what's going on, which has caused this tremendous decline in the people of God, is they are not listening. Probably a lot going on in their culture even in that day. But because of their unwillingness to listen and let God meet them and help them, uh, they're being called out. And whenever God's calling you out, his purpose is not to reject you, but to restore you. God's purpose is to free you from living a life of resignation and teach you how to practice resurrection. Wendell Berry has a great poem on that if you want to read it later, but uh, Eugene Peterson, a guy that you, if you have not read some of his books, he talks a lot about as church, as the people of God, we need to learn how to practice resurrection versus resignation. So here's what rebelliousness would look like. Um, you just settle. You, you know, you're rebelling against all the goodness, all the promises, all the wonders of the gospel, all the things that God has prepared for you to do, and you just settle and you resign yourself, this is as good as it gets. Now, these people are going through a devastating time of judgment shown in the locust, and also the locusts represent the enemy of Babylon. They're, they're living under deep oppression. Um, and when we're going through hard times, I wonder how many of you, like me, have just said, I just, we just got to get through COVID. We just got to get through the pandemic. We're just gritting our teeth. And we're really not going deeper and asking questions like, why is God allowing this to happen? How does God want to speak to my heart and your heart and to the church, the church, big church, Christ the King church? Um, how do, what is God saying to us that we need to listen to? Uh, and so part of that is just, again, rediscovering together that the word of the Lord that came to Joel wants to come to us. So. Uh, God calls out uh, these different leaders in the community. He calls out elders, drunkards, and he calls out the priests. Now, here's a question for the class this morning, for the congregation. What in the wide world of sports <laughs> is going on here when God calls out the drunkards? Why are the drunkards being called out? Now, just think about that. Let it sit there. There's probably multiple answers here. But I was talking with one of you yesterday, and you were spot on when you said, because they're part of the covenant community of God. Hey, here's good news. God loves drunkards. <laughs> he really does. People who know him, who've gotten addicted to any number of things, God has a way of pursuing us in our addictions uh, to help us. But I just, isn't that, I, mean, I don't know, I want to stop and say, wow. Now, if we were a charismatic church, or we might be an African-American church that was more freed up, I might say, oh man, Amanda, come back up here. Let's sing Behold Our God again. Uh, let's sing it again. Because it's so good, because 
if I'm honest, I have addictions that might not look like alcoholism, but they are just as deadly as somebody who drinks too much. Uh, in our family, uh, families, for Valerie's family and my own, there are mental health issues, there are addiction issues, but I, I just, as I was meditating and thinking about this, I was thinking about uh, my Uncle Charles, my father's only brother. He was one of two sons. If you've seen the movie As the River Runs Through It, they're two, good, they're two sons, much like the story of the prodigal God, the prodigal sons. Uh, there is a son who is Brad Pitt, who's rebellious and a gambler and an alcoholic and always getting in all kinds of troubles. And there's the good son who is doing everything right, accomplishing everything, but they really love each other. My father, James Godwin, Jim Godwin, loved his brother Charles, who was four years older than him. But Charles was a serious alcoholic. Serious. Growing up in my household, I'm the oldest of five. And the only times I really heard my parents fight was about sending money to Charles's family because Charles was drunk on a regular basis. And as my dad, who was one of the most alive, loving people you'd ever want to know, as I was growing up, I was watching the impact on Charles' alcoholism on my father. When I was 12, <clears throat> Charles died. And at that point, my father just slipped into a deep depression. Folks, we know this in this greater community here that lots of people are being crushed by addiction and it takes its toll. And it's like locust. It's like stuff being taken from you, eaten from you. People who pour their money trying to help people recover from drugs or any kind of addiction, the, the amount of loss that takes place. And so I wanna call you back to this God. <laughs> this is speaking to the drunkards. You know, he's calling them out because he loves them. And we get to call out people of addiction out as well and love them and say, there is a way out of this chaos. There's a way to pray your way out. There is a way to help you uh, get better. There is a way to help you find sobriety. But as I was thinking about this passage this morning, um, I just felt within me just this sense of, man, I wish my Uncle Charles could have heard this. I wish he could have known it. I wish my dad could have known it with him. So if you're watching on live stream or you're here this morning, you know if part of your rebellion is there's a secret side of you that's addicted to something. It might be alcohol, it might be something else. But I wanna call you out now to say, listen to what God says. When he says, awake, you drunkards, Wake up, you're paying a price, it's costing you. Other people are paying for it as well. And weep. Um, <clears throat> there, was, uh, there is a good friend of mine who's had an amazing impact in Africa through his theological teaching um, and uh, just the insights God's given him about the gospel, the word. But he went on a retreat early on, and on the retreat, he was at that stage addicted to his righteousness. And he was smart and theologically astute. And my mentor said, you're never more dangerous than when you're right. 
So here's a, here's a way to think about that. Uh, here's a question is, um, when you're in an argument with a friend or a spouse or a coworker, would you rather be right or would you rather be forgiven? Now, what? be careful here. <laughs> How you answer that question is going to tell you a lot right away. Well, you know, if I'm honest, I want to be right. You know, I want to win the argument. I want to win the fight. Surely, God, you see how much my wife is missing the truth of this situation. So please help her in Jesus' name, you know, to see it the way I see it um, and come around. So my friend, as, as a young pastor, full of himself, is in a meeting and uh, he is um, sort of, he's complaining about the teaching, he's complaining about the worship as a weekend retreat. And my friend, who is a godly brother in Christ, was just watching him be so critical and negative. That's an addiction, <laughs> being cynical, being addicted to I'm right, and let me tell you how right I am by how wrong you are. So anyway, it's going on. So my friend, at one point, there was a coffee break, and they're sitting at tables drinking coffee, and my friend looks at him and he says, who weeps for you? Now, it was out of the blue, sort of, but my friend knew where he was going with that question. He looked at him and said, who weeps for you? Because a lot of times when people are living that way, there's a lot of pain in their story. There's a lot of need to prove themselves. There's a lot going on inside. And so by asking that question, it was like a laser light on his soul. And he broke and he wept. And as he began to weep, everybody in the coffee shop area began to weep as well. The Spirit of God fell. And there was deep conviction that took place at that point that everybody started to wake up. And if my friend was here who had the impact in Africa, he would say at that point, he woke up from his addiction to needing to be right, to win, to prove himself. Wow. But how was he able to weep? Great question. But what I didn't tell you is my friend who asked him that question, when he asked it to him, he didn't know he would do this. What happened to him is he's looking at this young man, my friend started to weep for him. <laughs> So it's always a great gift we can give with people when we can weep with them when they weep. And we can weep for them when they can't weep. What a gift. When your heart is so cold and you're difficultly defeated, is to have someone weep for you. Well, God calls us to hear the word of the Lord. He calls us out. And then he calls us to return uh, to the Lord. Um, uh, he calls out the elders at this point, I mean the um, priests at this point. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a priest to God and to the church. And here's how you know you're in trouble or you're living with a rebellious heart. You've kind of lost your confidence in worship. You've lost your confidence for yourself and other people. But people of God were called to worship the Lord, to glorify Him, and as our confession says, to enjoy Him. But the larger catechism question is to fully enjoy Him. So a good metric to how you need to look at this passage is God's calling to the priests who have failed 
to do what they were called to do, which is to worship God, to rejoice in God, to love God with their heart, mind, soul, and strength. They've lost it, okay? And in losing it, everybody around them loses as well. Uh, you're a royal priest. You really want to, you want to go there this morning, and this is how you kind of need to wake up and be reminded, I need to be reminded, you are a royal priest to God. Sister, you're a royal priest. You have a, you have a bloodline here that when you begin to realize my calling is to love the Lord my God and to love people out of an overflow of worship for what God has done for me, but that bloodline is the blood of Christ. And here's how you kind of recapture your calling to be a royal priest uh, is the way you would answer this question. Now, I know Rick is preaching in South Carolina this morning, so he can't say, brother, you stole that from me. Uh, so uh, I'm not worried. He might watch it and call me out later. But um, so to be around Rick, when he, we would invest, we would sort of... Uh, inquire, examine uh, men who are feeling called in the ministry, they'd be talking about their understanding of this theological idea in the book of the Bible, outlines of Exodus, da 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 And then they'd get into the question of theology, and, and Rick would ask this question, he'd say, tell me, what is the present value of the blood of Christ to you? What is the present value of the blood of Christ? You see, the whole sacrificial system was built around seeing there is power, wonder-working power in the blood. Now, they didn't understand it the way we do, but they saw, because of their own brokenness, of their own need, there needs to be a sacrifice. Some of you know Brene Brown and uh, her work, but if you haven't seen this, uh, there's a video, I think it's on the internet you could find, where she talks about coming back to Jesus, coming back to the faith. And she's quoting her pastor, says, unless there's blood on the floor, I'm not interested. And she's saying, that's true for me as well. Brothers and sisters, there is blood on the ground that was shed for you and me that has power to cleanse our conscience, to call us back to being priest. Christ the King, we are priests to our God here in Cambridge. We're called to celebrate and experience and express how great is our God revealed in Jesus Christ. That's a calling on your life. Do you have a vision for that? Do you have a passion to be a priest to my God? Because I've been purchased by his blood. Um, when I moved back to North Carolina, I've been on sort of this missionary journey around the country, starting churches or helping churches. And I went back to North Carolina and I'm, I can't, I think I was in the hospital and I was sitting with an African-American woman and you used to do this rather than online where she's asking me all these information questions and typing it into a, kind of like a typewriter, but it was a computer, computer then. And so, you know, I give her my name, Clyde Godwin, and she looks at me and goes, do you ever use your name to tap on people's souls? And I went, that's a great idea. <laughs> God win. Um, and so then you go down the list, you go, and it ask you, what denomination are you in? What church are you in? And I knew that, you know, because she'd asked for that question, I could say what I said next. Well, my denomination is washed in the blood. And she looks at me and goes, I knew there was a certain aroma about you, you know. 
When you realize, and I realize, that we have been purchased at such a great price, we're part of the church, the big church, the church invisible, which is made visible, but what unites any church is its rallying cry around the blood of Christ. And when you lose your call to be what God has called you to be, to be the people of God for such a time as this, whenever there is renewal, reformation, revival, there's a rediscovery. And it comes about us gathering together and worship and praying, but lamenting. You can see it here in the text. Call for a solemn assembly. This used to happen historically in our country a lot. Have you ever been in a church or a community where there's a call to prayer for the lack of joy, the lack of confidence, the spirit of resignation versus the spirit of resurrection for the need of our country, our community? I've been in a few, but I think there'll be a lot more as we enter into the revival of what God has for us. But here's one of the ways you can sort of claim your calling, and that is a priest, four things are going on for a priest. In the book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer, which was kind of the book for my generation on knowing God, um, he says there are four things that characterize people who know their God, who are priests to God. First of all, I have great thoughts about God, worship. Second, great contentment in God. They have great energy for God, and they have great boldness for God. When the gospel begins to be renewed in your heart, when you reclaim it or recapture it, there's a great book called Recapturing the Wonder by Mike Cosper, and he talks about losing his joy, his thrill, and who Jesus is for him. Uh, it's, it's powerful. So let me illustrate it to you, uh, how it happened for me a few years ago. I was in London, in a part of London that's primarily uh, Indians, live there, Hindus, Sikhs, uh, Pakistanis, and we were inviting people to come hear these lectures about Christianity. And one of the ways we did that, we would on, stood on these street corners and uh, handed out tracts, if you will, inviting people to meetings. Now. I didn't, I didn't really get really excited about that. I really didn't want to do it, you know, but because I'm there and I'm a paid Christian, professional Christian, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to do it as pastor. So I'm on my corner, very self-conscious. I'm looking at the, my reflection uh, in the windows there, and I'm just, I'm not into it. About a block down, uh, there's a young man down there who uh, started standing on the corner shouting at the top of his lungs, I have good news! <laughs> I have really good news! Now, what do you think? People started going, oh, no, I don't want to. Uh, people said, well, what do you got? <laughs> he started handing these out because the expulsive power of a new affection was in him. It wasn't in me. And I had to repent of my resignation and enter back into the joy of the resurrection. So great thoughts, great contentment, great energy, and then great boldness that God has for us. When you look at this passage, and I'm really excited about studying it with you, we'll have a special message next Sunday for Mother's Day. Um, but we're going to be in Joel, and we're pursuing Joel for a couple reasons. One is I think it's a book for our time. It is a children's story, but a book for our time. But it calls us back to first things. It calls us back to our first love. It calls us back to 
the power of learning, as we talked about earlier in the worship. What does it mean to be still and know that God is God? And you know what comes after that? It says, God says, if you be still and remember who I am for you, I will be exalted in your story, in your church, in your community. And so there's this invitation to exaltation. And so this morning as we come to the table, we want to look to the cross, which reminds us there's an empty tomb, there is an exaltation, there is an ascension. Jesus is sitting right now at the right hand of the Father. And if we'll look into heaven through this meal this morning, what will happen is, is that we will see this. As Stephen saw it, you'll see Jesus standing up. He's seated in the place of royal authority and power, but if you and I turn our hearts towards him this morning and say, Jesus, take me back. I am so sorry for being so rebellious. Will you show me mercy? Will you show me kindness? Help me. And as we look with our imagination into heaven, Jesus is standing out saying, come. Come and learn from me because I can't wait to set you free again to your first love, to the thing that replaces in you the joy of your salvation. Let us pray. Father, we're thankful this morning for the beauty, the wonders of the gospel, for the truth that's here for us in amazing ways. And so, Lord, we're thankful now we get to come to this great meal, this feast, if you will, this exquisite expression of your love for us. Amen.